Hi there, a couple of really quick announcements before the start of this episode. One is that this episode was recorded the end of last year of 2020. So obviously our audio quality has gotten a lot better since then. And you're going to notice the difference in audio quality from this episode to our more recent ones. Secondly, is that for this episode, I didn't end up recording with my professional audio mic. I ended up recording with my laptop microphone. So you're going to notice a big difference in my audio quality specifically. I did go in and re-record the intro, the intro, and a lot of the questions, but a lot of my original responses are staying the same, so just thought you guys should know. Anyways, without further ado, please enjoy this episode and cue the music. Like I mentioned, I was full of imposters because I went from like literally working at Target as a security guard to two months later, I'm with all these people who feel like they belong here because they worked so hard for it. Meanwhile, I'm like, did I deserve it or did I just get lucky? Like, a good script. Me being self-taught just meant that I was always going to be harder on myself, which I think in turn made me a better writer. Hello and welcome everyone to Straight Ahead, an animation podcast where we spotlight rising black, indigenous, and people of color who are the future voices of the animation industry. I am Raymond Dozalanda, one half of your co-host. And I'm Yuki Okamoto-Wong, the other half of our whole host. Our guest this week is Jeff Trammell. He's an African-American writer working as the head writer on Craig of the Creek at Cartoon Network. Would you mind telling us a bit more about yourself? Uh, not at all. I mean, you summed up everything. That's my whole <laughs> life. No. Um, yeah, I'm a writer. I'm head writer on Craig of the Creek. Uh, I've also been very lucky to work on a bunch of other shows, including uh, Amphibia, The Owl House, uh, Infinity Train, and many, many more. So glad to have you here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so we like to start off uh, straight ahead by playing a fun little game called In Between. We are going to give you two similar choices, and you have to choose in between the two of them, and then let us know why. Okay. <laughs> okay, I'll start us off. Would you rather travel through the city with web shooters like Miles Morales, Spider-Man, or with a static saucer like Static Shock? Oh my god. <laughs> this is the toughest <laughs> question. Um, okay, so we're starting off. Okay. Uh, ooh. Um, okay, can I ask questions about the scenarios? Yeah, of course. <laughs> In the Maz Morales web shooting scenario, do I have to be cognizant of my web fluid? Like how much you have? Yes. I, I, I say yes. Yeah, only, I think only, you do. Yeah. Only because uh, the static saucer as well is reliant on how well you're juiced up. Mm, okay. Okay. That's fair. Um, damn. I gotta, I gotta go with Miles. Web, I mean, I've been, I've just been playing the game. So I, how can I not pick uh, that one? <laughs> um, fair. Uh, that's tough. This is, this is the hardest game I've ever played. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna go with web web shooting. That'd be uh, awesome. I'm like imagining Jeff flying through the air. Yeah, I do like a little flips and stuff, and it's like, yeah. ow! I was. <laughs> it's like beautiful. No, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but, no, that's cool. That's that's good. Like honestly, the live action films in the game, it just feels so cool when you are kind of flying through the way they can. The way you feel, but I think I would honestly myself, I would go with the static saucer. I oh yeah, a little more yeah. like. Tony Hawk. <laughs> yeah, kind of. I feel like because it's, it's, I guess it's more more steady, and I can choose yeah. how high and low I want to go. I don't mm. have to. It's not like on like my swing. momentum. Yeah, I might yeah. have screwed up. 
<laughs> now Jeff is second guessing. Because now I'm like, well, not, well, there's not like tall enough buildings where I am. Like, if there's just an open area, then I'm like screwed. Oh, damn. Oh, I made my bed. <laughs> You've been locked in. There's no <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I guess this. I'm stuck web swinging. It's <laughs> <laughs> completely fictional scenario. <laughs> one last, one last question. If you were a kid again, would you rather play on the playground at Third Street School from Recess or play in the creek from Craig of the Creek? <laughs> wow, you guys really tailor these questions to me, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, I got, hmm. This is going to be a controversial answer, but I got to oh. go with Third Street. Because Whoa. because I'm scared of the creek. <laughs> I don't, you know, I'm a, I was an indoor kid. Uh, I feel like my natural habitat would be a playground for the creek. Uh, the creek is obviously very cool, but I, I don't know, it's bugs and stuff. I'm good. I'll stay, I'll stay uh, in the safety of a playground. Whoa. I wasn't expecting that one. I know. <laughs> Same. That's Same. a good answer, though. I mean, yeah, the, the creek is like, you're right. There's like a lot more like bugs and like intense kids there. Yeah, so, I'd definitely be the Bernard. I'm like, why are you going to that dirty <laughs> creek? <laughs> 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 all right. So uh, thanks, Jeff, for playing with us. In between, you survived all the loaded questions. <laughs> <laughs> Barely. <laughs> I know that first one knocked the wind out of you. That yeah, was that was a that was a sucker punch. I was not ready for. <laughs> I know, I loved it. But your reaction was <laughs> perfect. It was it was the best. <laughs> okay, so for people that may not know, this is a very special episode of Straight Ahead. Normally, we interview younger rising voices who are just getting their foot in the industry just to kind of spotlight them a lot more. But Jeff is just such an amazing writer that we feel this is somebody that we can talk to in a different field that we might not be too familiar with. So even though he has more experience than somebody at an entry level, obviously he's going to have a wealth of knowledge to bestow and hopefully we can learn more about the world of writing in animation. So with that said, Jeff, what is the day-to-day job of a head writer at Cartoon Network? So right now, my kind of day-to-day is uh, I'm in the writing room with co-creators, Matt and Ben, our director, Tiffany Ford, and our staff writer, Ashley Harrison. And uh, right now, we meet maybe three times a week to kind of generate ideas for the show. We'll figure out, like, what's some fun scenarios for Craig and his crew. And usually that boils down to what's a really fun, like, kid game we played when we were kids that we can kind of, like, build an episode out of like uh, The Ground is Lava or uh, Foursquare. And then we try to find like an emotional attachment or a story that we can build around that game and kind of build that out to an episode or we'll just kind of go like with some kid feelings that we've all, you know, had. Like nobody takes me seriously because I'm a kid or I'm doing important stuff and I feel like nobody notices, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. because everybody's worried about my older brother going to prom or whatever. Like, that's the kind of stuff where I think it feels universal, even if you aren't in those scenarios. So we try to zero in on that and find those uh, moments for Craig and his friends and kind of, like, build a very, like, emotional attachment to those stories. So they really resonate with people watching. 
But yeah, so we work in the room to kind of generate ideas and then we write premises and outlines. The premise is usually about a page to page and a half long version of the story, just kind of like the bare bones of like, this is what happens. This is, you know, how Craig feels throughout the episode. This is how it ends. And then we'll write an outline, which kind of fleshes that out and kind of uh, is kind of like the blueprints of a house. And it's kind of like, okay, this is the story kind of pulled out. This is the scenes we need to see. Here are some jokes we can put in. And then once that's done, it'll go to our storyboard artist who will draw everything that you see and do the dialogue. And then they'll come back and pitch it to us and we'll kind of work together to kind of like strengthen the jokes or make sure the story's still checking out and stuff like that. But that's kind of like the big chunk of my day to day. In addition to writing episodes and helping out with like pitches, I also go to the voice records. We record our voice actors for episodes. I sometimes help out with uh, editing when we're trying to figure out, like, oh, this episode's too long. What can we lose? But still, like, make sure that, like, the through line of the story is coming through. And that's kind of, like, my many roles that I kind of deal with throughout a week. Oh, that's actually really cool. That's something that I wasn't aware of. Because I know when it comes to, like, the edit room, I know it's usually, like, the supervising director and, like, the, the episode director. But yeah, I never, I never imagined or didn't cross my mind that the head writer would also be in the room just to make sure that the through line of the continuity is still being seen in the episode. Yeah, with the head writer knowing how the episode's written, if a line gets test, like, oh no, that line's important because it connects mm-hmm. to something that might be happening later. So that's actually something really interesting to me that I wasn't uh, aware of. So something that I kind of want to know a little bit more about, what are the different roles and responsibilities of a writing team? Kind of depends on the show. I've been on various shows where it's like, you know, maybe like over Nickelodeon, um, the writers kind of just worked to generate ideas. And that was it. They didn't really do any of the previous stuff I listed that I do on Craig, like mm-hmm. helping out at pitches and stuff like that. So some shows, the staff writers are just there to kind of like generate ideas, write stuff, and then kind of keep things going. On Craig, our staff writer kind of serves that purpose. But in addition, she will go to pitches and help out with stuff, too. So usually it depends on the show, but generally a staff writer is kind of there to kind of like pitch on ideas, write up stuff, kind of like keep the wheels moving while all the other stuff is going on. But, you know, a story editor might be busy doing something else. So if I'm at a record, our staff writer can still be writing episodes and making sure that like stuff gets done. For our show, um, back when I was a staff writer, I would go around to all the storyboard artists and talk to them and see what they were interested in doing. Because I feel like if we're working on episodes that they're going to do, I want them to be excited about the episodes as well. So if I go to, uh, for example, Jason Dwyer, and I'm like, hey, so what kind of episodes are you really enjoying? And he's like, oh, I like to do like action stuff. Or I haven't gotten to do an episode with Carter from the Cardboard Kingdom, but I like that character. Then I'll try to make sure that like the next episode or a few episodes down that we can give him will be an action episode or something with Carter. So I don't think that's like a required thing, but I definitely think it helps to like keep your crew excited in what you're doing and make sure that they're like excited about what they're working on. If you could choose one or two misconceptions people have about writers or writing, what would you want to clear up? I think the first one I want to kind of throw out is that a lot of people think to write an animation that you have to be able to draw. You don't. I can't draw at all like to save my life what are you talking about i love crag (laughs) i drew a crag called crag uh that looks like crag if he had been 
through a rough time. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, but I can't, I can't draw, you know, like a server artist. Uh, and a lot of people think that to work in animation, you have to be able to do that. And that's not the case. It is like a huge plus if you can. I think it helps get your ideas across a bit better when you can visualize them. But I do not do that. I know a lot of people, uh, a lot of other writers that aren't artists, and that's fine. I also know that there's a lot of storyboard artists who want to make the jump to writing sometimes. And they think, oh, well, I'm a storyboard artist. I can't become a staff writer. And uh, that's also not true. I have a friend named Chris McKay who was a storyboard artist, and she made the jump to become a staff writer on uh, We Bear Bears. So it's definitely a thing that's possible. It's tangible. Don't ever feel like, oh, because I am very, you know, talented with my art that I can't also tell stories. Even um, Deshaun Mahone and Naja Porter, who are two storyboard artists on our show, wrote an episode of Craig. Like they sat down and did the outline and we like freelanced it out to them. Another misconception I want to clear up is that you have to like, at least for me, I know when people talk about writers, it's always like, oh, yes, I went to the film school in New York, or I went to UCLA, or I did this, or, you know, like, the only writer I knew growing up was Conan O'Brien, and I knew he went to, like, Harvard or whatever, so I was like, wow, you gotta be very learned to be a writer. I am here to say it's not the case, <laughs> as I dunk on myself. No, you're fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> but, like, um, I'm a self-taught writer. I didn't go to college. You know, I didn't take a bunch of classes. I just saw that this was an opportunity. I love telling stories. I like making jokes. I figured maybe this is something I could do. And I taught myself how to do it. And the right opportunity presented itself in the form of the Nickelodeon Writing Program, which is a yearly program that Nickelodeon does. Where basically, you can submit scripts and then they'll read them without like knowing who wrote them. Like It's kind of like a blind submission process. And then okay. they kind of like pick the scripts that they think are the best. They move to the next round and so on. And then eventually the final group come out to LA. Like you come out to LA for interviews and meet all these people. And then they decide who they're going to bring on. And I got through that program out of over like 2000 entrants. I was one of the final four that they chose. And I, they moved me out to LA and I got to work at Nickelodeon for a year. And without that program, I wouldn't be where I am. So it's a very valuable program. But, you know, again, I was just a self-taught writer uh, living in Detroit. And now I'm like the head writer of Craig of the Creek because of that. I'm not a college graduate. I never went to college. I didn't, <laughs> I, my parents don't own a TV studio. Like, these are all things that, like, <laughs> people kind of have this conception of for writers. And sometimes it's true, but it's not always the case. So anyone who is interested, I would say... Give it a shot, do your best work, and it's, you know, 100% possible. So something I actually want to talk a little bit more about since you brought it up. Uh, can you tell us about your experience as a member of the Nick Writing Program and what aspects did you learn from that program that made you feel like you came out a better writer? So I entered that program very green in the sense that I didn't know a lot about, you know, like terminology for the people we use out here. And... um also, like, structure was a big thing I didn't really have down. Like, I had never written an outline. I just came up with ideas, and I was like, well, I guess I'll write a script. And I didn't plan <laughs> anything. I wasn't like, the most I ever did was like, okay, this is my A story, this is my B story, this is my C story. And then I just be like, well, 
I guess I should check in with A here, and then I'll go to my C story here, and then my B story here, and then I'll go back to the A. But I wasn't writing, like, in this scene, this will happen. I was just like, I guess I should check in with this story now, type, 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 which is, like, the most... I, like if I saw someone doing that now, I'd be like, "What are you doing? This is this is not a good way to tell a story." But luckily, it worked out. Is it because it's like, my friend, there's an easier way. You're doing way more work. Than yes, you. because it's like driving down a road while they're paving the road. It's like, well, no, just plan it out first and then go. But I was just like. Uh, I guess this will happen. Type, type, type. Yeah, that sounds good. Type, type, type. And it's like, <laughs> it's so difficult. So I learned structure through that program a lot, like tax structure and writing outlines, which is literally what I do every day on Craig now. <laughs> and a thing I hadn't ever done then. I also like, so I was very shy. When I entered the program, I was 25. And I was still like very introverted. You know, I hadn't been in school in like seven years and then I worked jobs, but I was kind of just like working with people who I'd see sparingly. So it was very like to myself a lot. But when I came out here, it's a lot of like meeting new people like every day or going to other studios and meeting people there, or talking to them. So they hopefully remember me when a job opens up and so on. So I had to shake that. And I really got to shake that through the program because they have a lot of things where like, okay, today you're meeting the writers of The Loud House or today you're going to meet this production assistant from Teenage Ninja Turtles and so on. So you meet a lot of people that way. And you kind of like, once you do it so much, it kind of becomes second nature. And then we also took uh, improv at the Upright Citizen Brigade as a part of the program. And I had always wanted to take improv, but I could never afford it. So this was another opportunity where I got to like go up in front of people in my class who were basically strangers and make up stuff off the top of my head and hopefully get a laugh. And then if I didn't, it was like, well, no one's going to remember it a day from now anyway. And then that really like loosened me up to be like, okay, whatever. If I'll just talk and if I say something stupid, they'll laugh or they'll forget about it. And that'll be that. <laughs> or hopefully I'll forget about it. And then I'll, I won't think about it at 3 a.m. So yeah, those were like things I was really able to take away from the program. Just a bit more like confidence in meeting people. And a very strong story structure because the program very much was a boot camp in the sense of like, you got scripts, they're due. This is when they're due. I need this by this. Like it was a very like focused learning of like a year of just like, this is what you got to do to the point where like I was able to write and I don't recommend this for anybody who doesn't have to, but I had a deadline and I got sick. And I procrastinated, and that's a bad mixture of things. And I had a script due on a Tuesday, and I didn't start on it until Saturday. And it was a 30-page script. Oh, no. And I got it done when I needed to. And that was the moment where I was like, okay, I know what I'm doing in the sense of, like, I can do this. This isn't the healthiest way to do it. But if I can do it, then I'm learning something, you know, as opposed to, like, missing my deadline or something. Also, don't procrastinate is another lesson that I should have taken away, but still <laughs> seem to do. <laughs> it's a hard one to shake. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the only way I'll ever stop procrastinating is procrastinating has to like, like I have to not make the deadline and then get in trouble. And then I'll be like, oh, no, I shouldn't procrastinate. But that hasn't happened yet. Yeah, it'll be like traumatized. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so something really quickly that kind of want to backtrack on. 
is that why do you think the Nick writing program thought it was important for you guys to learn improv? Like as a writer, how do you feel that's important? It's so important. Just being able to like think on your feet. There's a lot of moments like even at records where it's like, you know, the context has changed and maybe this line doesn't come across the way we need it to. Let's get an alt line. And then you're kind of on the spot of like, okay, well, what can I pitch that'll get what we need to get across, but also hopefully be funny. And it's been invaluable for that reason. Also, like when you're in the room, just coming up with ideas and picking stuff out. A lot of times there can be like dead space in the room and that's fine. But also you want to make sure that like if there's some way that you can fill that with like a well thought out sentiment that can come across. And I think the improv kind of taught me how to like kind of think on my feet and think a lot quicker. And just for confidence, again, like knowing that like, okay, I can pitch this thing and people will like it or they won't. And that's fine is like very freeing because I think without improv, I would be in a room and I would be like, um, I want to pitch this thing, but what if they think it's stupid? And then, um, you know, I, maybe I shouldn't. And then two minutes later, someone would pitch the exact same thing. And I'm like, oh, this went over great. Why didn't I say it? Now everyone will be looking at me like, oh, he's so smart. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I was nervous. So I think that improv for me was very freeing in that, it taught me not to be so nervous. Like the worst thing that's going to happen is, you know, someone doesn't respond or like, oh, well, let's go some other route. And then you're like, okay, and you just keep moving, you know? Mm -hmm. That's really great. I think like, uh, I mean, I don't have any experience in feature, but it like feels like that's also really important for TV specifically because it moves so fast. And like you're saying, like when you get somebody in for records, you only have them for a limited amount of time and it's very mm -hmm. expensive, mm -hmm. especially if like who you're hiring is like a little more high profile. But either way, that's like a really good thing to think about like that oh this line's just not working regardless of the delivery like we just need a new line here that's really uh something i never thought about in terms of like for writers yeah because uh, i know for animation and story i'm honestly a big advocate for improv like i love doing improv and i feel like as a story artist it's super super helpful and beneficial for all the exact same reasons just thinking your feet the ability to pitch kind of also like rolling with the punches especially yeah. when you're getting like notes on your stuff instead of just kind of sitting there okay i'll take that note i'll take that note you can kind of like oh what if we did this or like oh I like what you're saying like to go on top of that let's go in this direction as well instead of just standing there and just kind of like getting the notes like daggers yeah <laughs> <laughs> take a lot of criticism you're like contributing <laughs> yeah yeah i feel like it helps because it, it, it makes you more uh, receptive as well and yeah i think yeah improv can be so beneficial in writing and i like that the nick artist program really stressed that and made it a part of like your guys i guess curriculum so like as you mentioned you have written for so many different shows such as glitch text owl house infinity train and of course craig of the creek out of all the projects you have worked on, which one has been your favorite experience? <laughs> the toughest question. <laughs> <laughs> they just keep coming. <laughs> I mean, there's, it's tough because like, you know, each of them is very special. Of course. For example, Infinity Train, I was a consultant on and that meant a lot to me because I was a big fan of the show just from like the stuff I had seen and then when I was consulting, because I consulted on book three, book one wasn't even out yet. Just the pilot had been out, you know, for a few years. And I got to go and watch all of book one and all the animatics for book two before book two was even announced, which was like 
crazy. I was like, oh my God, this show's so good and I can't talk to anyone about it for like months. But that was a really cool opportunity. And like, I'm such a big fan of what that crew created, you know? So that was really cool to get to help even a bit. And like, you know, obviously Craig of the Creek is probably the thing I'm the most proud of. I love that show. I love that crew. I couldn't be happier with the stuff we've done and the stories we've told and the representation we've been able to get out there. And it means the world to me. If I never have to work on anything again, I'd still be proud of Craig. And I got to work on Ninja Turtles, which is cool. <laughs> but um, for, to answer your question, I think it's probably Harvey Beats. Harvey Beats was a, a show I was a big fan of. It was created by Carl Greenblatt, who I was a big fan of. Um, Chowder, I loved. Um, when me and my fiance first started dating, we would talk on the phone and watch Chowder on Fridays. And now, like, Carl is one of my dear friends. I've been to his house uh, multiple times with her to play board games. So that is crazy in itself. That uh, <laughs> We used to watch his show, and now we're in his house like eating his chips. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, like, Harvey, it's a very sweet show. And it's the first show I ever got to, like, write on. And it was my first room. And everybody in that room was so nice and so helpful. Amalia Lavari, uh, Kevin Kramer, Donnie Michaeli, uh, Carson Montgomery, like everybody was like so nice to me when I was just like the guy from the writing program that's just kind of in the room. And it would have been very easy to be like, hey, you're in this room, but also like we're working. You, <laughs> you sit back, you know, like just listen, pay attention. But the second I entered that room, Donnie was like, you're in this room. You're one of us. Feel free to pitch. Feel free to like whatever ideas you have and are willing to share. Feel free, which is very opening. I always tell the story, but um, I've been in the room for maybe like uh, a couple weeks and they were trying to crack this story uh, called the Grunicorn. And there was something that just wasn't working. And I pitched something and it unlocked it. And then they were able to like really like get moving on it. And after the meeting, Donnie, who's their story editor, Pulled me aside and was like, we've been working on the story for a month and you just saved it. Great job. And it meant a lot to me because <laughs> um, I have been in the program for a few years, but I had a lot of imposter syndrome because uh -huh. I'm a self-taught writer. I just like moved out here. I didn't go to college. I was like, you know, constantly like, did they make a mistake in choosing me? So that moment meant the world to me. Um, I'm trying not to cry while I talk about it. <laughs> um <laughs> So, yeah, and outside of that writing room, even the rest of that crew was just full of so many talented, nice, sweet people that I am still such dear friends with. That show meant the world to me. And it showed me like what a show could be of just like a crew of a family. And when I went to Craig, I was like, I want that to be here. And that was one of my like goals. And I know that like, that was Matt and Ben's goal coming over from Steven. But like, I was like, I want this crew to feel like a family and they do. And that meant a lot to me. So that I got to go with Harvey for that reason. Totally. I totally felt that when I was interning for you guys on Craig of the Creek, that it did get a little out of hand sometimes. Yeah, sometimes it gets nuts. <laughs> but, <I guess. laughs> but it felt 
like very inviting and for the Nick Writers program, obviously they saw your script and you know, they were like, this guy has something here to contribute. For me, I was like a production assistant intern, so I wasn't even there for an art job. But you guys were very welcoming and warming and it felt really cool because whenever there was a pitch, not only were the story artists invited, but like the whole crew could come and like watch and Usually everybody showed up because they're just so fun yeah. to watch everybody pitch their stuff. And anybody could contribute, like if people weren't sure about a part or if something seemed off with the characters, like everybody was able to contribute. Obviously, the story artists and you as the writers had a better grasp on what was happening in the overarching story. But like even somebody like me, like a production intern could chime in and say like, oh, I liked this part or like, I didn't think that this was as funny. <laughs> Which is good. Yeah, it was really nice. It's invaluable for us because we've been sitting with the story for so long. So those are like great moments to like, okay, you guys are coming in pretty blind to the story. And if this stuff gets a big laugh or if you're tracking the story or if you're not, then we need we know we need to like fix something to make it so people at home can track these stories. So that's probably the most important pitch. So yeah, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) No, thank you. So even though being self-taught, you were still able to become the head writer of Craig of the Creek. And honestly, that's such an amazing feat. But something I kind of want to know a little bit more about is that how do you think being self-taught has helped you, but at the same time, how do you feel it has hindered you? I think it helped me, at least initially, in the sense that because I was self-taught, I think I was better than they expected me to be at the job. And I think a lot of that came from, you know, like the writing program, but also like, I think I came across as uh, naturally funny. I think for a comedy writer, being funny is the most important part, especially for one that's self-taught, because you can learn the other stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a lot easier to teach structure than it is to teach comedy. So I think that helped me a lot. But also like a thing that hindered me is, like I mentioned, I was just full of imposter syndrome. Because I went from, like, literally working at Target as a security guard to two months later being in a room with other people that had won this contest. And, like, you know, they were like, I've had work published in, like, these books. Or I've, like, been doing improv for, like, 10 years. And I came from, like, the NBC Late Night Writers Workshop. And, like, I'm with all these people who feel like they belong here because they worked so hard for it. Meanwhile, I'm, like... Well, I won my spot here, but did I deserve it or did I just get lucky with like a good script? Mm-hmm. So I think I was probably the toughest critic on myself because I didn't think I belonged here. And then I had this stuff happen on Harvey, which was great. And then I finished the program and I did some freelance and the episode I wrote just like wasn't working. And I was very hard on myself about that because I was like, okay, well. Now I know that I don't deserve to be here because I'm messing up. Like, I've done something wrong. Which, in actuality, it wasn't an issue with me. It was just an issue with the story. And the story wasn't working. But I was hard on myself for that. Mm-hmm. But two months after that, I got to write for Amphibia. That went great. And I got to write for the show called Little Big Awesome at Amazon. And that went great. And I got to do a freelance episode of a show in development called Craig of the Creek. And that went great. And then Craig kept bringing me in. And then two months later, they got greenlit. And they were like, we want to bring you on as a staff writer. And 
then I was scared I was going to get fired for the first uh, six months of prank. <laughs> Even though I was doing, I guess, pretty good work and I got promoted six months after that. But yeah, so I don't think it, it was really until maybe like year three of me being in this business, which, you know, I was the head writer of Craig by that point where I really like felt confident and knowing what I was doing and I'm still learning, just like everyone's still learning, regardless of how long you've done your job. But I think, yeah, me being self-taught just meant that I was always going to be harder on myself, which I think in turn made me a better writer. So being self-taught, obviously you didn't go to school to learn to write, but do you think there was other aspects in your life that naturally helped you become a writer? Yeah, I mean... I watched a lot of TV. <laughs> so I think at a, at a certain point, something got absorbed. I was like, I guess I can write for TV. I watch it. I study it all the time. Yeah, study. I mean, there's this, when I first got in the program, there we had a teacher named Fred Rubin who had written on like any, any show from the 80s or 90s, you name, he was on it. Like he wrote Family Matters. He wrote for uh, Different Strokes, just like so many oh, wow. like classic shows. And he said, mm-hmm. um, Anytime you're watching something, you're doing homework. If you're watching something good, you're learning why it's good. If you're watching something bad, you're learning what not to do, which is so true. But also, like, the best way for me to, like, well, I kind of watch all of, uh, you know, uh, Boy Meets World, doing homework, <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> watching all these shows. But because of that, like, comic books are storytelling. And seeing what works in the story or what draws me to the story or this character. It's always like me doing work. Even pro wrestling, which I love, is storytelling at its most base form. Mm-hmm. Why do I love this character? Why do I want this character to get beat up? Why do I feel this way when this character is like getting jumped by the bullet club or whatever? Like, it's, you know, like these are all stories and there's yeah. something to draw from all of it, which is, you know, the best way I can advocate watching wrestling or reading comics and playing video games. <laughs> I totally agree. I feel like that might be why when you started out, you were just like, uh, just gonna type and like, uh, that feels good and like keep writing sort of straight ahead because you had absorbed the formula. For, yeah. <laughs> like when you're watching TV, there's kind of like a formula of like, oh, and then we'll cut to this now and blah, blah, blah. And that'll happen for a little bit. And maybe like you innately sort of felt that while you were writing. But now that you can like structure it out, it's probably a lot. Yeah, that's a lot better. But I think you're right. I mean, it was like, well, I guess this feels on my gut, like where they go to commercials. So I guess this would be my act break. And it is very much that, you know? Right. I think the reason why you like pro wrestling is the exact same reason why I like it. <laughs> is storytelling. When doing the Solomon Sente comic for my thesis project, that's one of the things I was trying to communicate to my crew is that at wrestling's most base form, it's telling the story. Mm-hmm. It has a beginning, middle, and a climax, and an end. And there's structure. You have the bad guy, you have the good guy. And there's always a story being told in this visual performance. And I think as a kid, when I would watch it, I just thought, cool, people are beating each other up. Like, Rey Mysterio is doing these awesome, cool flipping moves. That's <laughs> obviously super cool. And then I fell out of it because wrestling became uncool mm-hmm. after elementary school. Yeah. But I've always liked it. And then in college, I kind of fell back into it because I realized I liked it beyond another level besides all the action. I think subconsciously, I always liked the storytelling of it. But as a kid, I didn't understand that. And when mm-hmm. as I got older, when I realized, like, holy shit, this is 
this is a story. Like, why didn't I see this as a kid? But I felt it. And, like, I understand why some matches really, really captivated me. Like, why I really felt, like, when Rey Mysterio won that 2006 World Rumble, why that meant so mm-hmm. much. Is because he was such the underdog in that fight. I think the majority of Rey Mysterio's matches, I think my favorite matches he's in are when he's a David versus Goliath. Yep. Yep. He's a little man fighting against this big man. It's like, he can't win with strength. He has to win creatively. And, like, how can he bring down this dude that's twice the size? And I like seeing that story unravel. I guess what I'm trying to say is that that's something that you saw as well why wrestling and comics and that media is that in its base form, it's a story that's being told. I could not agree more. I mean, I always uh, mention, I haven't brought it up because I didn't know if it was going to like come up with some big leading question later. <laughs> but, uh, I uh, used to be a pro wrestler in my life before yes. this. <laughs> you know, like I always say when I'm talking about it, it's like, that's the thing I loved about wrestling, but didn't realize I loved it was the storytelling aspect. Like it's because it's easy to like see like, you know, in its base form, it's like good guy versus bad guy, hero versus villain. But, you know, I feel like the best people, the best wrestlers are the ones who can tell that story and make you, like, invest it. Because, you know, like you said, Rey Mysterio is David versus Goliath in most of his matches. But you still mm-hmm. care. You still want to see him win. Even though you've seen him beat the big guy before, you still are like, well, can he beat this big guy? Because this guy's like a little bit bigger, or <laughs> like you know, like it's it yeah. draws you in the same way that you, like, you return to like uh, the episode of The Simpsons where you know how it's gonna it's gonna end the way it starts. They can't change anything, and that's kind of how wrestling is. But the way they the story is told and the little nods to like like one of my favorite wrestlers, Kenny Omega, and he has this mm-hmm. amazing trilogy for anyone who is into wrestling. You already know this, but he wrestles. Uh, Kazuchika Okada, <laughs> and they have ah, this trilogy yes. of matches, and they're all such great matches where each one builds on the last one. It's subtle. It's not like hitting you over the head, but it's like, oh, he went for this move, and last time he got hit with it. But in this match, he knows to look out for it, so he avoided that. Like, There's little storytelling things there that are just so well done, and I think you know the same way we look at like avatar for like this incredible story of turning zuko from like villain to hero or the same way we look at dragon ball z for like the masterful work of like what they did with vegeta up to like his big sacrifice in the majin buu saga that Mm -hmm. same storytelling is in professional wrestling it's in comic books it's in anyone who saw spider-man homecoming that moment where peter is trapped and he's just a kid and it hits and he's like stuck it gives me chills because it's such a great moment in storytelling and that can be and should be found in everything, even if it's not on that scale. You know, why do I care if Peter gets free? Because he's just a kid and he's in over his head and we've all been there. The same way that I care if Craig is going through a problem because he's a kid and we've all been there. And, you know, even if you're an adult, we've all been there. Everybody should be able to relate to the story and see themselves in it. Those are the best stories. No, that's I think that's, that's beautiful. That that was beautifully told. I cannot agree more. It's <laughs> honestly, it, it, no, it's just great for me to hear because I I think my crew did build an appreciation for wrestling, but it's just I always get really happy when I meet someone else that I guess sees it the way I see it. Totally, it's, it's great. <laughs> I love having Ray around. Ray and I go to wrestling matches together, but I like 
don't invest in the long term story. I just like seeing like big dudes slap each other around. I think it's awesome. <laughs> but I think what you're saying is right. Like even even if I don't pay attention to like the overarching story, each match is like a microcosm of like what's mm-hmm. happening and the performance of the wrestlers it, it shows through. And I really appreciate when the performance is like over the top and I'm like, that's the bad guy for sure and like this mm-hmm. is sort of the good guy or the underdog or like any other of the tropes that they want to do if it's just like a funny match. But it's really cool to just see those performances and like get really invested for the ten minutes that they're up there and like yell or scream and yes. it's very cathartic. So it's yeah, it's awesome. I love wrestling. <laughs> okay. This is not a wrestling podcast. I realize that. But I feel like I should mention this for anyone who does like <laughs> care about the storytelling and wrestling. There's a Twitter account called mm-hmm. Myth Gifts, M I T H Gifts. And the woman who runs it goes through various matches that she loves and will go through like the story and tell you about these characters and why these moments mean so much throughout the match and post little gifts of the moment. So it's like, oh, these two characters used to team up and now they hate each other, but they're forced to team up and throughout this course of matches, they start to respect each other and like breaks it down like scene by scene. And it's so good. It's like... (laughs) It's the only reason to have a Twitter, I think. <laughs> but I highly re- That's recommend right. it. I want to check that out. Dude, I'm gonna I'm gonna follow that. I'm gonna look it up right after this. You'll love it. Um <laughs> But Jeff, what was your wrestling name? I uh yeah, okay. <laughs> you have to tell me you love wait, it. Wait, B, before before you do, if you do end up telling us, uh Yuki for the longest time has been telling <laughs> that you refuse or you never say what your wrestling name was. So this is, for Yuki, a long time coming. She's been trying to find this out since she interned on Craig of the Creek. Which is hilarious. <laughs> I, I feel like you've kept it a secret. Ray knows it, because Ray, Ray did a poster for me with my work name on it. But I didn't see it. <laughs> I will tell you. What is this, two years coming now? Uh, my work name was uh mr jeff no it wasn't it was <laughs> uh it was kevin cavalier with a k because oh. alliteration is great <laughs> that was my work name if people say kevin sometimes i look out of habit even though that's not my name anymore all right follow up to uh, uh that question what was kevin cavalier's signature move tko baby <laughs> love a tko uh for those who yes. are not in the know it is when you have a person on your shoulders and kind of like a if you seen like an f5 or brock lesnar or a fu i guess attitude adjustment by sean cena and then you twist them and you rko them ah uh, that's really nice cool. that's really that's the nice. coolest yes move, <laughs> All right, we could go back to our actual animation podcast. <laughs> Anyways, back to you as a writer. <laughs> Is there any exercise that you do now to sharpen your writing skills or that maybe you learned while you were at the Nick writing program or as you learned throughout your career? Okay, so I don't, I can't say yes in good, in good faith. <laughs> but I take a lot of work, um, like a lot of freelance work. So I like Craig of the Creek is a storyboard driven show, which means we only do premises and outlines and then it goes out to the board team who finishes the rest of the episode. Um, but other shows are scripted. So I do take freelance work in the form of working on other scripted shows. So I can keep that muscle strong as well as like 
working on uh, board different shows. And I recently wrote a comic uh, for DC Comics that is currently unannounced, but will be announced probably by the time this comes out. And if not, uh, nobody tell DC Comics that I said this. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> but um, that was my first uh, comic that I got to write, and that was really fun. Hey, everyone. It's me from the future. I just wanted to say that the comic that Jeff has written for is Red Hood in Haunted by the Past, it's a series that you can find in Truth and Justice number four. It's available both in print and digitally online, so pick up a copy today. That's really cool. Um, can you talk a little bit more about um, writing for script-driven versus like just doing an outline? Um, do you do you literally write like stage direction and then like um, as much as like a live action script or? Okay, so I will say um, just for those who don't know, like a board-driven show does an outline and. A lot of writers who do script-driven shows have difficulty with outlines and vice versa, because with a script-driven show, you're writing a full script and you kind of like have a say over everything you said. You're writing all the dialogue, you're writing who's in the scene and so on. Usually I'll try to just give an emotion. I'll be like, Raphael feels uh, devastated by his brothers not being by his side or something. And then the artist can interpret that as opposed to like, Raphael frowns because it's not going to come across the same, you know? Um, but mm -hmm. because with the script, you have more control over like what's there. I think a lot of writers who do uh, storyboard driven stuff who previously worked on scripted stuff have a struggle of finding the balance because for a board driven show, you want to make sure that there's enough information there that the artist knows what you're trying to say. But you aren't locking them into something, you know, they want to have freedom and wiggle room to be able to tell the story. And if they feel like they have to stick to everything that you're saying verbatim, then they don't have any wiggle room. But if you don't write enough information, then they can feel kind of aimless. And then they're like, Oh, I didn't know what you meant by this scene. So I just did this. And that's not always the intent. So it's like a weird balance mm -hmm. you have to find but with the script driven show. You are fully taking care of the script, which can be, empowering i guess but also if it doesn't work is your fault <laughs> and that can be uh difficult to deal with i don't know there's pros and cons to both i think i love both but um it can be very hard to tell a story in a certain amount of pages if you have 14 pages to set up and end a story if you're doing like an 11 minute or something um but also trying to spell out action it can be difficult to try to condense everything within those pages. Whereas like if I'm doing an outline, I can give kind of broad notes and be like, oh, well, in this scene, Craig does this and JP makes a joke about it, and I throw in a joke and Kelsey hits a person with a sword. And then they can interpret that how they will and <laughs> give the proper time to it as opposed to me like trying to script out a scene. And then I'm like, oh, no, this scene was supposed to go for... <laughs> 40 seconds and it's four pages of this script. <laughs> <laughs> That's something, at least on the animation side that I hear sometimes, is that sometimes you're working with a script and things are laid out in a way that's like, okay, this is just a easy amount of time. Like, oh, this doesn't seem that bad. And then they get to that one sentence of like, an epic battle ensues. Yeah. And uh, it's like, what the hell? <laughs> and like, every script page is about a minute and boards and blah, blah, blah. blah. There's always um, some type of correlation in timing. But then you get those sentences where it's like, this could either be really short or really like one sentence could be several minutes. Mm -hmm. 
And I want to say to uh, any aspiring writers, please don't write a crowd of people run by or a parade of people because your artist has to draw that and no one wants to have to draw like 20 (laughs) characters running across the sea. Just, you know, a few people run by terrified and they can just get away with like two or three people and it's like, oh no, something bad's happening. But like people love writing like crowd scenes or like someone's like a stadium full of people. There's pandemonium. You're like, oh my God. That's, please don't do that. <laughs> you never had to draw 20 people on a page, have you? All right. <laughs> right. It takes you, you know, three seconds to write. It's going to take somebody hours to draw. So please just be cognizant of that. Uh, very true. Very true. So, Jeff, how did you get into writing and being a writer now, or maybe before you started writing professionally? What stories did you want to tell? And are you telling those stories? I got into writing in the funniest way. It's one of those things where I never, like, in my origin story, something clicked. And I was like, oh, I guess I always wanted to write. But I used to write a lot of, like, (laughs) short stories when I was, like, in middle school. But I never had any interest in being a writer because I didn't want to write, like, books. And that was all I thought writers did was, like, write novels and stuff. And I was like, well, these are short stories because I can't write long stories. So, you know, it's just something I do past the time. And then I started wrestling, which was another, like, me-loving story, but not realizing it. After I graduated high school, I went to a trade school for video production. And I met some friends, and we started doing, like, sketch comedy. And, again, that's more, like, writing and comedy, but I wasn't really aware of, like, you know, I was like, okay, well, this is fun. And then I started watching 30 Rock. And the entire premise of the show is that they are writers for a Saturday Night Live type show. And I was like, oh, you can write for TV? <laughs> like, it never clicked. Um, which I know sounds crazy to anyone who, like, lives in Los Angeles where you know this is a job. But, you know, I was in Detroit. I, it never occurred to me that people, like, wrote for TV. It just wasn't, you know, I never thought about it. So I was like, okay, well, if you can write comedy, then, like, how do you do that? How do I become a writer? And I knew that Donald Glover wrote on Dirty Rock, who's a huge inspiration of mine, because he was just, like, a young black kid who was writing for TV and had done, like, sketch comedy. And I was like, well, he found a way to do it. Like, it's possible. So how do you do it? And then that was kind of the beginning of my journey to like trying to become a writer. And eventually I got here and I don't think I knew what kind of stories I wanted to tell. I think I was just happy to get the opportunity to tell stories. But when I was um, looking for work, I was trying to write on Apple and Onion because I was a big fan of the pilot. And um, my manager was like, they're staffing up. I can try to get you in that room, but you have to like write a pilot. So I wrote a pilot very quickly because I had learned how to do that from the writing program. <laughs> and she sent it over, but they had already staffed Apple and Onion. But Carson Network was like, we'll keep you on file in case anything comes up. And uh, a few months later, they were like, we want you to come in to like meet with the creators for the show, Craig of the Greek. You know, could you come in and watch the pilot and see if you're interested? And I was like, okay, cool. And I had just done freelance for Amphibia and I didn't know what Craig of the Creek was because all I knew was the title. And I was like, well, I just did this show on Amphibia, and so I this girl on jeans on with a bunch of frogs, so I guess this is like another frog show. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I went in to watch the pilot for Craig, 
Like, I didn't meet the creators, but someone set up the pilot on the TV, and they were like, hey, just check it out. And, you know, afterwards, you know, we'll set up a meeting for, with you and the guys. And I was like, okay, cool. And I left me alone to watch the pilot. And it starts, and I saw Jessica. And I was like, oh, wow. It's, uh, I didn't expect to see, like, a little black kid. And then Craig runs in and just bowls Jessica over. And I laughed very hard. He <laughs> <laughs> caught me off guard. And... Then I realized, like, Craig was the protagonist. And I was like, this is different. <laughs> like, there wasn't a lot of shows with, like, Black protagonists, you know, since, like, mm-hmm. Statics and the Brown Families and, like, Fillmore. Um, so I was, like, in. And then the episode played out, and it was really funny and cool. And, like, they went to the stores and met the Sir, met the Sir Queen, and, like, JP and Kelsey had really funny lines. And it was just, like, I want to work on this. Like the second I saw it, I was like, I want to work on this show. And then it ended the pilot. And then I watched it again. And then it ended. And I watched it again. And then halfway through the third viewing, they were like, hey, you got to leave. So, like, <laughs> <laughs> so I left. And like the whole time I was just thinking like, this show is so cool. Like I, there's so many different, like, what if, what if they did this? What if they did this? And I had all these ideas for it. And the next day, I came back to meet Matt and Ben, and we just hit it off. And they're like, you know, if you want to like do like a freelance episode, that'd be cool. So I came back and I talked to them, and we would just talk about like growing up and like what kind of story I wanted to tell. And um, eventually, I wrote a outline for this episode that would become the episode "Too Many Treasures." Where we meet the jump lord and the ten speeds, which is ironic because I'm cannonball now, but I wasn't <laughs> when we wrote that episode. <laughs> that was like a moment where I was like, this is the kind of story I want to tell. I want to tell a story about a little kid who is African American, who is the focal point, because I didn't see this a lot, like hardly ever growing up. And mm-hmm. I know how much static means to me. Because that was the first time I felt represented seeing a young black inner city kid who got the chance to be the hero. And people are going to feel that way when they see this show. And I want to help them feel that way. So luckily, you know, they offered me the job on Craig. And because of that, I've been able to tell a bunch of really cool stories with that crew that I really wanted to tell. Stuff like Power Punchers, which is like an episode about Craig and his dad playing video games that meant a lot to me. And the Thanksgiving episode with the family meant, like, the world to me to do. And there's so much stuff we're doing now, stuff we can't even like, talk about, that I, like I said, if I'd never you know, wrote for anything again, I'd be proud of this show. And that's because um, I've gotten the chance to do so many things that I never thought I would be able to do. And I'm supported by the most talented crew in the business. So those kind of stories I want to tell are the kind of stories I've been getting to tell for the past four years. That's awesome, dude. That's, it's so important. That's awesome. Oh. Yeah, that's really awesome. For Craig and the Creek, I grew up in California and now I live in Georgia right now. And the creators, Matt and Ben, they like, when they made the show, they like flew back here to the East Coast and like took pictures of their uh, respective creeks and stuff and mm-hmm. then flew back to California. They were like, well, they were a lot smaller than they remember. But <laughs> the thing is, is after I moved out here, I was like, oh, there's literally just creeks and like foliage everywhere if we don't have that in California. Well, I'm sure there's somewhere, but like very much 
it's very different out here. And I was like, this is Craig of the Creek. That's <laughs> Like, kids are just playing in the streets and fishing and, like, doing all this stuff. It was crazy to me. And I guess what I mean to say is, like, that experience, I understand it now that I'm out here. The experience of being, like, African-American, I will never understand. But I can tell that it's very specific. Like, those episodes, the Thanksgiving episodes, things like that. I'm like, that's very specific to the culture. And I'm like, I will never understand that. But I am glad to be able to watch it and, like get a glimpse of somebody else's life even though i will like never live that life i think it's very important yeah like even as you mentioned something about how like for me even though like i'm hispanic static shock was one of my favorite shows and i think it's because it's something i didn't get to see a lot even though like i love the batman anime series is a classic and stuff just seeing a black superhero to me was new and like just seeing the struggles that Sadik would go through with his dad, he lived like the bang babies and like the gang stuff just gave me more of an understanding of that. But also like just seeing his struggles, there was stuff that I was still able to relate to. And I think the most beautiful part to me about that series is Sadik was talking to, I think it was called the Black Spider. Mm-hmm. The one in uh, the superhero in Africa. The Anansi, yep, in Africa. Yeah. Yeah, Anansi, he was like, I wish I had a black superhero that I could look up to back at home. And when he told him, like, well, the people at home have you to look up to, I thought that was honestly really beautiful. It's like probably one of my favorite lines of that series. Same. We all need somebody to look up to that we can feel we can relate to. And I feel like that's something I feel like we're seeing a lot more, like with Craig of the Creek, with uh, the Casa Grandes, with like Santiago the Sea is now coming out, especially for like that younger, younger audience. We just need to feel like, there are things that we can relate to because I think oftentimes as well, I know there's so many more like Latinx artists, more black artists, but I think when you're growing up and you don't know many people in your life that have those jobs, it kind of feels out of reach. And so there's more people of culture, like of like ethnic backgrounds are entering these creative fields. It can give these younger kids like an example of like, oh, I see a black writer. I can be a black writer. I, I see like a Hispanic storyboard or Latinx storyboards. I can be that. I can be a board artist because you see it and then you feel like you can be mm-hmm. it. As a kid, the more you're exposed to the more you actually feel like there's more things you can do. I just think that's beautiful. I could not agree more. We've mentioned a lot. Like static meant a lot to me, but it also meant a lot to me because of Dwayne McDuffie. Because the reason I knew about the show was my mom told me, she was like, I read this thing online and she had printed out an article for me. This was the 90s when I, you know, people did. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, she was like, this show is coming out on WB Kids. It's by this black guy from Detroit who like made the show. And that meant a lot to me. So I was like, wait a minute. Again, it was like, oh, I, like, I don't think I realized at the time how much it meant to me. But it was like, this is this guy. From where I'm from, he's doing this thing and he's making the show and I'm watching the show and I'm loving the show. And again, like, I, I didn't know this was a job. So it, I don't think that I, it resonated with me that was like, he made this thing many years later. But now I can look back and I can say, oh, he was a huge influence on me. And it was like, even if I didn't know this is what I wanted to do, seeing that he made this show when I was like 10 clearly resonated with me. And Truth be told, that's why I'm always interested in doing these podcasts. That's why I'm interested in doing panels. Because anytime anyone can see, oh, he did this thing, it's going to inspire 
them, hopefully, to, to even know this is an option, even if they don't want to pursue it, but knowing that it's possible. That's why I am very upfront about, like, I didn't go to college. Nothing against anyone who does go to college. Not to take away from it, obviously, but just so people know. I got here. I'm from the city. I didn't go to college, and it's attainable. And I, I want everyone to know it's attainable for them, too. Mm-hmm. Because the same way seeing Dwayne McDuffie spurred something in me, hopefully just people knowing that I was able to do this, they can do it, too. We'll spur something in them. And that's even like that's the most important thing in the world to me. Everybody knowing like these spaces are difficult to get into, a lot more difficult for some than others. And we are hopefully changing. I think we are. I think we're we're definitely heading in that direction. So I know you already gave so many nuggets of advice to us this entire podcast that people can, you know, like latch on to and take with them and stuff. But if you were to give like one final piece of advice, what advice would you give to those that want to pursue a career in writing? Tell the stories you want to tell because that's what's going to like that. That'll shine. The stuff you're passionate about shines through. I make a lot of jokes in this podcast, uh, <laughs> but I also <laughs> say a lot of stuff I'm really passionate about. And I think that the stuff I'm really passionate about comes through. And it's the same way in writing. And I keep saying this, but this is one of the, some of the best advice I've ever gotten. Because a lot of times you have to take a job that you might not like, or you might have to write something, write for something that you might not personally be into. You can write to anyone else's vision, but don't lose your voice. And I think that's really important. Write what you want to write, say what you want to say, tell the stories you want to tell, and do it in the way that only you can do it. You know, it's a lot harder to replace somebody if you're telling stories that only you can tell. So just be true to you and hope that the people that resonate with those stories will find those stories because they will. Mm -hmm. It's beautifully put. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, where can our listeners find you? And is there anything else you want to plug? You can find me on Twitter at Mr. Jeff Trammell, two M's, two L's. I guess I'm also on Instagram with the same thing. If you want to see drawings of me that more talented people have done of me, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, including Ray. (laughs) And um, I will, yeah, I mean, anything else, I'll plug on my Twitter. New Crack episodes will be coming out, I'm sure. Um, I'll be able to talk about my comic that I did for DC Comics. Shh, don't tell them. Uh, (laughs) At some point. And uh, yeah, anything else. So I guess you can find me there. Well, if you enjoyed our interview with Jeff today, please rate us on Anchor, Spotify, or wherever you tune in. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at StraightAheadAP, and let us know your response to today's in-between questions. Or if you have any suggestions for future in-between questions, contact us on social media or send us an email at straightaheadpodcast at gmail.com. If you have any suggestions for future guests, please contact us. We love discovering new artists and want to use this platform to boost these voices of the future. And finally, a big thanks to our music composer, Daniel Rodier. Thanks again for listening, and thank you once again to our guests who will continue to have a bright future straight ahead. Until next week, have a wonderful day. Bye. Bye. You can say bye to Jeff. I didn't know if I could. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>